Colossians 1.16 For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him I was pondering upon this verse and thinking about how even the powers on earth were created by him but also for him they were never created in such a way that they'll go against him but this just proves the ungodly world that we live in and times past we did have authority that were godly righteous and the people were blessed but when those wicked are in authority the people mourn and that's what's taking place today we've got to be reminded in these last days that even though we're seeing more corruption we cannot forget that all things were created by him and for him he's the creator God that creates all things and when things go against him he's not happy at all and one day he will execute judgment he's just very patient and um, he's long-suffering and he uses also those things that are uh, you know simply against God and his people to bring about his plan his purposes and that's one thing that cannot change what God has foreordained will take place and we know that the second coming of Christ has been foreordained that Jesus will return and when he does he will execute judgment and vengeance but while he while that we're still waiting for that time we, we must occupy till he come we must be faithful with those things that he's committed to the church we are the church we are the body of Christ and he's committed to us some things that we must observe to do till he comes we cannot neglect no matter what generation or era we live in those things that he has clearly commanded us to do and so one of those things that we're going to look at this afternoon is the Lord's Supper this is something that also is commanded not only uh, given uh, to the church to observe but it's really a command it's not a uh, an ordinance that is to be considered so we want to see this in 1st Corinthians 11 we'll go to other passages of scripture this afternoon but we'll look at 1st Corinthians 11 for the most part and I want to try to express the importance of this uh, Lord's Supper uh, as the church gathers together to participate it's something that the, the church must gather together to observe. It's, it's not something that we can do, I, I guess, uh, from a distance. The Lord's Supper is not an ordinary meal that we partake of. Um, it is a sacred memorial meal established by God for the church. And we're going to see the significance. And sometimes uh, we, we don't remember the significance of it until we look at the scriptures and realize how important it is like the Passover was important for the children of Israel so is the Lord's Supper important for us today and so I want to try to pull this out and show you clearly from Scripture that it's still something that the church must observe must do while we wait for his coming 
So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, before we read this scripture, uh, I'll have two people to pray. Dylan, if you can pray for us, and Zach, if you can pray for us as well, please. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, we see the Apostle Paul says, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And in context of this ordinances, we see the Lord's Supper is mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, and it's supposed to be and should be observed by the church. It is a custom, an ordinance is a custom or a tradition that is practiced and uh, for us today must continue to be practiced. Now let me say this, traditions are not bad when, they, when they're biblical, when they're scriptural. Uh, notice what Paul says to the Thessalonians just here for the sake of time. Second Thessalonians 2.15 Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And so we see some traditions are not bad as long as they're based upon Scripture. However, traditions are bad when they're taken, uh, you know, the place of Scripture. Uh, notice what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says, For well... You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Alright, so traditions are not necessarily bad, but when they take the place of Scripture, it becomes a very bad thing. Uh, the ordinances in context as we see it is known as the Lord's Supper. And so the Lord's Supper is when they would come together. Verse 20, have a look. When you come together, therefore in the one place, this is not, isn't this not to eat the Lord's Supper. So... He's reminding the Corinthians that when you come together, isn't it that you eat the Lord's Supper, that you take from the Lord's Supper? And, uh, and, and the context here, we'll get there in a moment, but the context is that he was rebuking them for coming together, uh, for just banqueting and uh, you know, abusing the feast and not making it a sacred memorial. So he's reminding them, isn't this time a time for you to come and take the Lord's Supper in the way of remembrance? And so we see the Lord's Supper means that it is the Lord's. It's called the Lord's Supper because the Lord initiated it. And not only the Lord initiated it, but we come together to remember the Lord together. Other terms given to the Lord's Supper is the Lord's table found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot uh, be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. And so this communicates to us that the Lord's Supper uh, is holy, okay? Uh, it speaks of separation. Uh, we have been saved to be a holy people, not a worldly people, okay? We cannot partake from, uh, you know, uh, those things that are offered to idols or devils or the world system. We partake from those things that are holy and sacred and therefore we cannot, you know, be uh, serving two masters, if you will, or having one foot in the world and one foot in the church. First Peter uh, two nine says, "But you are ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." And that's what the church is all about. When God calls uh, someone to um, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to repent. And they do. They're, they're simply you know, called out of the world into the body of Christ and they're established as a church. And now a church is a, God's building, if you will. We're a holy building and we are his body. Number, number two, it's also known as the breaking of bread. 
breaking of bread was known to come together, break bread and eat. But this here God uses to illustrate something more special. And the meaning of this is found, or the uh, first appearance is found in Acts 2, 42, and they continued steadfastly in breaking of bread. And God uses this term to, to illustrate the gospel, but more specifically to communicate that there was a price that was paid when the body of Christ was broken. This not only speaks of separation, of holiness, but also of his suffering. <clears throat> Another name given is the Lord, to the Lord's Supper is communion. It's found in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16. The cup of blessings which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ or the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Now this illustrates to us the common bond that you and I have in Christ. And that's special. We all have a common bond. We are all partakers, commune, if you will, or we uh, simply participate or share with the same common bond, and that is the Lord's body. It's sacred. So this not only speaks of separation and his suffering, but listen, this speaks about the sweet fellowship that we have because of him. There's nothing greater than the church here on earth. There's nothing greater than that. That gathering, that assembly, if you will, uh, that is something that the Lord ordained and that's something that the Lord initiated other than the family and it is a sacred thing because it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the gospel and his word. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you look around today worldwide and you see the remnant of Christians, not the mainstream Christians. No, the remnant of Christians. Always trying to seek to please the Lord, love the Lord, and uh, count, if you will, the cost in doing that. And there is a cost to be a disciple, by the way. The cost for our sin was paid on, in full. Thank God for that. But it was paid that we may be purchased to become a body, if you will. We're partakers of this sweet fellowship. We are his body. And so that we remember, as we come together today, we remember that the Lord's Supper is a, is a sacred memorial meal to remember what he's done for us in order to purchase us. We weren't purchased with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say, the Lord's Supper, as I said in the beginning, is not an option to consider. It's a command to obey. And we see that, that the Lord commanded it first. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, the Bible says that he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave unto them, saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Look, look what he says here. This do in remembrance of me. To do something requires action. And so the Lord is saying to his disciples before his departure that do this in remembrance of me. The Last Supper introduces the Lord's Supper. This is where we see the Lord's uh, Supper established. The Lord's Supper uh, also celebrates uh, or initiates, if you will, the New Testament or the New Covenant, which is a better covenant, by the way. 
And initially the disciples gathered together to eat the Passover. It was planned in Luke chapter 22 that he would gather everything to make ready for the Passover. And it was there where Christ introduces the Lord's Supper. the first time we see it. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember that the Passover were, you know, pictures of Christ. They were shadows of things to come. And Christ is the fulfillment of those shadows. He's the fulfillment of the Passover. As a matter of fact, he says to the church at Corinth, uh, uh, very specifically in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, that Christ is our Passover. And we'll look at that in a moment. And so the Lord, uh, the Lord initiates the Passover. He commanded it. He says, do this. Not only that, remember he gave him uh, the Great Commission. Part of the Great Commission was to go into the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the first ordinance. The second ordinance is teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you. And so part of uh, the teaching to the disciples was that they would continue, if you will, uh, the Lord's Supper, and they did. The early church practiced this. They continued uh, steadfastly in breaking of bread. And this also gives us a good indication that only baptized believers, those that gladly received his word, were baptized, added to the church, and continued steadfastly and, uh, in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. This Lord's Supper is not made for those that are not saved. The Lord's Supper is a, is a time of memorial to think about what Jesus has done on the cross and also perhaps even the day that you called on the Lord. And those people that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ become the church, the body of Christ, and they continue in the very things they were taught in. Now, the early church practiced this. And let me just say this. If you're not saved or biblically baptized or part of a good body uh, of Bible believing, you ought not to be taking the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not given for those people that are not following scriptural patterns. The Lord has his ways. Amen. He has a certain uh, command and, and the details in, in, in areas that are clear matter. Let me just stop here and say, what was wrong with Adam and Eve eating the fruit of the tree? Isn't fruit good for you? I mean, did they kill anybody? Did they murder anyone? No, they disobeyed God. And disobedience to God is, the greatest, is one of the greatest sins. It was the disobedience of, by one man that sin entered into the world and death by sin. You know why there is murder and lying and cheating and so forth? Because of the sinful uh, nature of Adam, which, which the origin was disobedience. A rebel that disobeyed God and so... Uh, obeying God's ways are important. And brethren, what I see in this passage of Scripture is very clear. They that gladly received His word were baptized, added to the church, and then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and so forth. And the Lord's Supper is given to the church collectively, not individually. This is confirmed by the Apostle Paul. So 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 23. For I have received of who? The Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he explains what happened that night. And so we see this is confirmed by the Apostle Paul, receives it from the Lord, and gives it to the church. It's given to the church to 
Uh, observe it collectively. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to see this pattern. This is not a meal that any Christian should practice or participate at home without the church gathering. I mean, if you're in awkward situations like being in prison and so forth, I'm sure that the spirit uh, yearns to be with the body. Uh, the apostle Paul was in prison. He perhaps couldn't have the privilege like the church uh, to gather together and remember the Lord in a, in a very sacred way. But those things are out of the box situation and, and uh, those things that the Lord gives grace for. Amen. But when it's in your power, we ought not to change the way or the function in which God set. The world today is on a, you know, constantly trying to uh, redefine things, redefine the family, redefine marriage, and again, redefine church and its practices. And so this is for the church. Verse 17, have a look. Now, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. It's a rebuke. The emphasis is here that ye come together. Look at verse 18. For... Uh, first of all, when ye come together in where? The church. I hear that there be divisions among you, and partly I believe it. In verse 22, uh, sorry, verse 20. When ye come together, therefore, look at this, in one place. Okay, and look at verse 33. It says, wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. So in other words, he's talking to the body of believers coming together that's the assembly coming together all right so we see that by the way the passover was practiced once a year at a specific location and that location was chosen by the lord in deuteronomy 16:16 16, 16, the bible says three times in a year shall you all shall all thy males appear before the lord thy god in the one place which you shall choose there were three feasts here one of them was the unleavened bread, which is also known as the Passover. And in the Feast of the Weeks, which is known as the Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Wheat. And here also the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is the Feast of Barley's. And uh, they shall not appear before the Lord empty. They'll go, males specifically will call for this. And they'll go three times a year, once a year for the Passover to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Luke 2, 41, that the parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, that specific location to observe the Passover. And they did that religiously because it was an ordinance that God chose. By the way, uh, you know, when, when you see people do things religiously according to the word of God, it's good religion. It's pure religion. Amen. It's something that God has done. Religion is not wrong when it's based upon scripture. Religion is simply a set of beliefs that we follow. And the, and the beliefs based upon scriptural grounds is, is something that is good. Pure religion, James says, is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to be unspotted from the world. That's pure religion. That's uh, you know, something that God magnifies. Now, let's see the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Of course, the purpose... Uh, is to remember the Lord, look at, in a very special way. 1 Corinthians 11:24, he says, This do in remembrance of me. This is what Jesus said. 
This is not something that will wash your sins away. This is not something that this bread's going to turn into the little bo literal body of Christ. It's not something that the fruit of the vine is going to be turned into the literal blood of Christ, like we were taught in my Catholic tradition. No, this is something that God uses, and we'll see the different elements used here, to uh, illustrate for us, to remember, if you will, the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering, his love for us. And also it was in demonstration Look at verse 26. As, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he says this, you show or you demonstrate. What is it? The Lord's death till he come. So when we remember by partaking of the bread and the cup, it illustrates the Lord's death. It shows a picture. It shows and demonstrates this, this wonderful, wonderful gospel picture that simply purchased our redemption. Amen. It's the picture of the Lord's Supper. He uses the bread. Uses the bread here. The Bible identifies certain elements to be used and the bread should be unleavened. This is what they use in the Passover. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was the sinless Lamb of God that was slain. And so when he established the Lord's Supper, it was established from the pre-Passover. Remember that? And they, they would have used unleavened bread. Uh, and uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says here, talking about church discipline, to purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So what's he trying to say here? Even the body of Christ in its function ought not to have sin in the church, like the sin of Achan. They were, they were, uh, back in the days of Israel, you know, God is always, listen, God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. He feels the same about sin being in the church, and it must be dealt with. Over here in its context, and we're not talking about church discipline, but we're simply talking about how God is holy, and he doesn't want the church body to be defiled. So he says, purge that old leaven. No sin into the church. Purge him. Unrepentant sinners ought to be disciplined. And uh, it's a serious thing, especially when they're bucking and kicking and especially when they're causing more grief to the body of Christ and to the people of God. Purge him. Let the body become a new lump. No leaven. And he says here by using a very specific uh, phrase for even Christ, our Passover is, is sacrificed for us, typifying that he was the sinless savior. Amen. And when we have the bread, uh, it's unleavened. So when you, when you eat that bread, you, it may not be the fluffy kind of bread that you eat, uh, but it reminds us of the broken body of Jesus Christ and how he suffered for us, the sinless Savior for our sin. Amen. Amen. And thank God for that. We're all like sheep gone astray, Isaiah says. Every one of us turned to his own way. But the Lord laid upon him, listen, the iniquities of us all. By his stripes we are healed. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And that's what we remember today. The bread typifies, the unleavened bread, the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. But when we see the cup, the cup, Matthew 26, 29, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's 
kingdom. The fruit of the vine refers to grape juice, pure grape juice. Once again, typifies the pure blood of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter says, For as much as you know that we were not redeemed, redeemed means to buy back with corruptible things as silver or gold from your vain conversation uh, or lifestyle received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, look at this, and without spot, pure, pure. And, uh, and even in the Passover, the instruction was to bring a lamb that was out without blemish, without spot, without and within. And they'll slay that lamb and they'll bring the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts, if you will. Uh, uh, and, uh, and those that would be in the house, when the angel of death comes, the tenth plague, it will pass by. And that's what we remember, that the blood of Jesus Christ, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, is a propitiation for your sin. And the blood, if you will, is, will cover you. What a beautiful thing. So when judgment day comes, God's going to pass over you. You will not be judged because he took our judgment. On that cross, the blood of the lamb was spilt for our sin. And that's what we remember. Listen, these elements ought not to be compromised. They ought not to be compromised. You know, using unleavened bread and uh, the fruit of the vine, grape juice is important because they typify something special. Now, I want, to, I want you to show, show you something that's blasphemous. Hillsong, which I believe is a counterfeit church, and I believe so many people have been beguiled. There are sincere people there that have been led astray. Uh, when I say counterfeit church, I don't mean more or less the people. I mean more or less the movement. And um, they encourage their members to have a cookie and some juice. Okay? Um, if they can't, you know, get those elements, just get, grab a cookie, grab some juice. And they were doing it online. It's an online thing. And uh, this is pure blasphemy to say the least. This is, where, this is where the devil, okay, likes to distort the things of God. He's the, he's, the, he's the master of always distorting the truth. Those things that are set up by the Word of God, he just distorts them. And, 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 and people think they're doing okay because they're following, you know, biblical practices. But no, it's a distorted way. And I, and I believe it does more damage than good to Christendom doesn't do us any favors, actually brings about confusion. But the devil is the author of confusion. Hey, online campus, we're really excited because this weekend is communion weekend. Now, at church, you might have one of these things, but you probably don't have that at home. So you grab a cookie, grab a juice, whatever it is that is most convenient for you. We'd love to celebrate communion together. Hey, online campus, we're really excited because this weekend is communion weekend. Now, at church, you might have one of these things, but you probably don't have that at home. So you grab a cookie, grab a juice, whatever it is that is most convenient for you. We'd love to celebrate communion together. To me, seeing these things is blasphemy. Is blasphemy. You say, oh, you're being dogmatic and, uh, you, you know, you're just being very uh, legalistic. No, I'm being Bible. Following the ways of the Lord is not wrong. We need to be very careful that we do not do things in a way that is flippant. As a matter of fact, when the church at Corinth, and we'll get there in a moment, did things in a flippant way in partaking the Lord, from the Lord's Supper, many were sick and many of them were dying because they were just taking this sacred meal you know, in a way that was unworthy. 
and, uh, and, and they were guilty of the blood and the body of Christ. And we'll see that, what that means in a moment. And so we'll see it now, the pre-warning given before partaking the Lord's Supper. And so the church at Corinth uh, is an example of this. I want you to see, if you will, 1 Corinthians 11, turn back there. By the way, there were, there were many issues surrounding the church at Corinth. One of them I already mentioned, that there was sin within the church. It was fornication and different things that were taking place that the church wasn't dealing with. In our text before us, it seems to be divisions and heresies. In the, verse 18 to 19, first, for, he says, uh, uh, talking about, I hear that there will be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must be also heresies among you. Okay, and then also in verse 20 to 21, there was feastings and drunkenness. He says, for in, for in eating, every one taketh before another his own supper, and one is hungry, and another one is what? Drunken. And uh, what have ye not houses to eat, to drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? And uh, of course, verse 22 talks about them being greedy, absolutely selfish within the church and not waiting for one another, and treating the time of this meal, rather than being sacred, they were being very selfish. Alright, so there's a pre-warning here for us. In verse 27, he says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, what's that word? Unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Oh, now, unworthily is an adverb, means we ought not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. It's not that we're not worthy to take it. Praise God, He's shown grace to us. Amen? Everything that we do is the grace of God. We are, we're not worthy in every sense. We're not worthy to even be saved or go into God's kingdom. But over here it's talking about us eating in a way that is unworthy, uh, unworthily. In other words, it's not right. Uh, it's not wholesome or holy. The church at Corinth didn't treat the Lord's Supper as a sacred meal. They were eating it in such a way that, uh, you know, was shameful. To eat in an unworthy manner is not to discern the Lord's body. That's what he says here. This is not the time of feasting, but rather of giving of thanks. And they weren't giving, of, they weren't thanks, uh, you know, they weren't giving thanks, but rather they were just, you know, taking this time for, gra uh, for granted. Verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Look at this, not discerning the Lord's body. So they aren't really coming and thinking and remembering the Lord's body and what he has done for them, but rather they were just eating and drinking and just, you know, almost like, you know, feasting, if you will. It wasn't a sober time of, of collectively come. Let me just say, when we come together and eat a meal so we can be full, ought to be separate from that which is sacred. And this is why we want to keep it separate and not include it together because it's a time of remembrance. It's a time where we gather together to remember the Lord in a very special way and it's a time where we think what Jesus did on the cross for us, we meditate upon those things, the, 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 you know, the down payment, uh, the price that was paid for us when we discern the Lord's body, that means we're discerning the suffering in which he endured for us. We can't forget about that. We can't. We can't forget about those pierced hands 
that are a reminder to Israel that they crucified him, their own Messiah, that when he comes in Revelation 1-7, every eye will see him, and they that pierced him. And so we can't remember the suffering of the Saviour. Uh, Patterson writes, if we eat the Lord's Supper with unjudged sin upon us, we do not discern the Lord's body which was broken to put it away. To put it away. Alright? It says here in verse 27, we'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, wherefore, in verse 27, whosoever shall eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that the person who partakes of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner has become personally responsible for the Lord's death doesn't mean that at all, but it means that they are guilty of dishonoring, if you will, the Lord's death. They've dishonored him. They are guilty of uh, demonstrating an attitude that is careless and heartless, an attitude toward the suffering Savior that is just sim simply, um, again, selfish. And so we are to examine ourselves, he says in verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So it's a time of self-examination. Everyone examining themselves. So participating in the Lord's Supper is to be preceded by uh, earnest, let me say diligent, self-examination. Alright, that means we need to be very sensitive to see if we have sin in our life. Because you don't want to just eat and you've got stubborn sin in your life, unforgiveness, no heart to make the wrong right. He says in verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, look at this, we should not be judged. If we scrutinize and put ourselves under the test and see if there be any wicked way in us, then we would not be judged by the Lord or chastened by God. Over here in context, for those that are believers, can be judged in such a way where the Lord will chasten them. But the following question will help us to, to make the right judgment. Let me give them to you. Are there any sins, any at all, that before we eat of the Lord's Supper, that we must confess before the Lord? In other words, has the Lord pinpointed anything in our lives that we can agree with the Lord and say, yes, Lord, you're right, I'm guilty. That's what confession is. It's agreeing with the Lord. Number two, are there any strongholds that I must surrender to the Lord? Any habitual things that are just simply uh, taking a hold of my life, things that I'm not getting victory over, that I need to come before the Lord and say, God, I've had enough of this. I'm done with it. Another question, are there any saints that I must forgive or ask for their forgiveness are there anybody that i must forgive or ask for their forgiveness number four are there any scriptures that the lord wants me to obey and i'm not obeying in other words am i trusting and obeying the lord in my christian life is my christian life just blasé am i just living the christian life in such a way where this is tradition because, sorry, but there are some churches out there, like the one I was brought up with called the Catholic Church, that they would supply the communion to anybody, even if you didn't go to confession. 
One of the requirements was you'd go to confession and confess your sins to the priest. And I did that and I went to the priest uh, and confessed my sins. But sorry, I went to the wrong priest. I didn't go to the high priest, amen. But what I'm trying to say is I did that religiously. And thank God that he has mercy upon the ignorant. But even in that setting, uh, to, whom much is, to, to, to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, you know, there are people that do things out of ignorance and there's mercy, but there are those that willfully, you know, sin and say, yeah, it's the she'll be right attitude. No, don't have that attitude. Make sure you're, you're so sensitive to the Lord, sensitive to sin, sensitive to the Spirit of God. Listen, sensitive to the Scripture. Uh, before the Lord as best as you can and say, Lord, I want to be clear my conscience before you and man. It's a it's ha it's ha fear and trembling attitude before God. And, uh, and that fear and trembling comes from a holy fear for God. A holy fear for God. For the fear of the Lord teaches us to depart from what? Evil. And so we need to have this disposition before we eat. You say, but isn't the Lord's Supper supposed to be a time of rejoicing? Absolutely, when you're clear in this matter. Amen? It's only sin that brings forth guilt and shame and distress and anguish. Stubbornness that brings about condemnation. Now, let's look at verse 29. If we eat unworthily, it will bring about this damnation or condemnation. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh what? Damnation to himself. Now the word damnation is not always descriptive of hellfire, fire and brimstone. It means uh, also condemnation or judgment in a physical sense. We are in Christ. Those that are in Christ Jesus shall no way experience the condemnation uh, you know, that the world, the unbelievers will experience. But what it, ta what it talks about here in context, talks about the physical uh, judgment that will come upon us. It's perhaps what 1 John 5 talks about. The sin that leads unto death. There are sins that don't lead unto death. And he says that all sin is sin. But there are stubborn uh, Christians out there that would not repent and will not uh, surrender and will not confess their faults. And so it could be that God will chasten them to their death instead of to be restored. We don't know uh, specifically when you see someone, by the way, sick, or dying, don't automatically think that's maybe because they've eaten the Lord's Supper unworthily. We don't know. But you just examine yourself. It's a self-examination. Alright? Got to make sure that we examine ourselves. The, this actually refers in verse 32, the chastening hand of God. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. And by the way, whom the Lord loveth, he what? He chasteneth and correcteth everyone, okay, whom he receiveth. And so we understand that even when he does this, he does it out of love. He either says, come home, son. Come home. You're bringing reproach and shame to my name. You're hindering the church of God. You're causing disruption. And only God knows if there's an ounce of repentance in that person. I mean, how do you pray for someone that, uh, you know, is sinning? A sin unto death. It's very hard to, to know and discern. But in my experience, it's almost like I can't pray for that particular brother anymore. Just I don't have the desire to. 
And there are other times when I pray and all of a sudden names come to me. When I'm interceding on behalf of people, all of a sudden I'm thinking about this person and that person and that person comes to mind. So why am I thinking all of a sudden about that person? And so the Spirit of God helps us intercede on behalf of others. And the other times there are, there's no appetite to pray for wayward Christians that are stubborn. And may God help us that we would never come to the point of our lives that we are stubborn in not to obey the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> now, who can participate? Of course, it's those that are blood-bought Christians, uh, biblically baptized, added to the church, and they continue steadfastly, if you will. I'm going to keep moving and pressing on. When should we observe it? How often? Well, the Bible says in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. So as often as you do it, we've chosen around about once a month. We can change that to every week, every two weeks. We haven't done it for several weeks or months now because of the current circumstances that surrounded our church. I believe as a pastor, it was, uh, it was only right to, to take some steps back and, uh, and wait on the Lord to see what comes and living room of restoration and forgiveness and and all the things that the Lord is happy with, forbearing one another in love, forgiving one another, amen, um, and doing th those things that are biblically right, leaving room for those things. May God help us to continue to always have a heart that leaves room for reconciliation, uh, not on the expense of Scripture, amen, never on the expense of Scripture, but because of the Scriptures. But over here we have liberty to do it once a week. Some people do it once a year, following the pattern of the Passover. Now, personally, I believe that's, you know, not very often. I'd like to do it more than that. And so, how long do we do the Lord's Supper? For how long did, does this last for? Verse 26. You do show the Lord's death till he comes. Has the Lord come yet? Okay. So we continue to do it as often as we do it until the Lord comes. You say, well, how are we going to do it uh, if we can't meet anymore? Who said we can't meet? Interesting question, isn't it? Who said we can't meet? Many people back in the days fought the good fight of faith and wanted to stay true to the ordinance delivered by the Lord. Amen? The gates of hell should not prevail against the church. Do you believe that? I believe it. I really do. All right. When the Lord comes back again, by the way, he will take his place at the table as he promised he would. Matthew 26, 29. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What a beautiful thing. Amen. And, uh, and so when we look at the Lord's Supper tonight, or we partake of the Lord's Supper, there are some things that we need to look. And first of all, we need to look upward and give thanks to the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord for His benefits. God has been good to us. Amen. And then we look backward. You do show the Lord's death. You look back and you see what the Lord went through on that cross. Not only that, but the day He showed grace to you when you called on the Lord. And then you look inward. We examine ourselves and see, Lord, is there anything that displeases you? 
Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And then, of course, we look forward. We look forward to his coming. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And we say with John, the revelator, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. What a blessing. You can only say that when, you're, when your conscience is clear before God. And you're clear. Lord, I am where you want me to be. I'm in your will. I do not want to turn to the left or to the right. As a matter of fact, that is, that is not only given to Christians, but that, that was also given to the children of Israel. That they would love the Lord and they would cleave unto him and they would not turn to the left or to the right. And by the way, when you look at that word cleave, I spoke about this last week, cleaving to the Lord meant you despised idols in your life. He says, cleave to the Lord and don't go back to those idols. Turn away from them. And so this is what we want to do and make sure that nothing gets in the way between us and the Saviour.